Welcome everyone, this is Dan coming to you from the wood shop at DTM Enterprises. You are listening to the Spiritual Underground Podcast and I'm a little juiced up tonight because uh, just been looking forward to this one for whatever reason and we got extra energy in the room which uh, brings me up a little bit to uh, this whole community aspect of doing this thing together does something for me. Uh, if you're just tuning in for the first time, we are basically uh, primarily a 12-step recovery-based podcast. I do explore other areas of uh, recovery and, and the way people find their true voices, but, but the way I found mine was uh, through the 12 steps, and, and, and that's the message we're trying to carry here primarily. Um, DTMWW.net, that's my little woodworking handyman business here in uh, the Louisville metro area. If uh, any of that's something that you need, uh, I'd love for you to contact me. Uh, it's doing well and uh, keeping busy doing that. Uh, 12-Step Spiritual Recovery also known as TSSR, is a uh, book by James Christopher Cohn. It can be found on Amazon. Uh, it is the 12 steps for everyone, I like to say, and uh, some people kind of laugh when I say it, but I believe it. Uh, it is the great compendium, the magnum opus, the maximum prime version of the 12 steps. It is a manual that you can read and do this work and get these things in your life, and it is the fundamentals which gave me what I have in my life today and what I pass on to the guys that I work with. Uh, Darren Frank's music's wrapped around this podcast, so uh, he's still working on his physical recovery. Please keep him in your prayers. Um, that is all I got to lead up here. I do want to introduce my guest today. I've known him probably about five years plus, I would think, if I'm going to guess back, because that's about how long I've been sober. And uh, I met Barry, I'm pretty sure, in a meeting here locally that what I used to call my New Omni home group, uh, meaning it means a lot to me and, and will really uh, um, carry me for a, a long time. It's somewhat, it's moved and that's, there's a dynamic when a meeting moves or changes times and does this that, that can really have an impact on it. From what I understand, it's had one on that meeting. But uh, I met, met Barry there and Kathy and uh and both of them uh became friends and 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 they heard about this tssr thing we were doing and and came over and you'll probably i'm sure hear a little that about a little bit about that in in this story today too and they both attend that regularly also um i have some more to say on that but i'm gonna let it unfold as the story comes out so, Barry, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good, Dan. Doing good. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. I always just loved your energy from the beginning, and I don't, you know, how that is. And you know, it's funny to be able to do that and say that today, you know, because it used to be there was a time when I had my guard up most of the time when I was, especially if I met men, you know, absolutely, let my guard down if I met woman, right? But a dude, you know, you might hurt me and might do something, and I can't appear weak and and different things. And, you know, recovery swept that out of the way where I can actually, uh, uh, sure become friends with somebody and and, and mean it you sure know, and actually love a guy you know i mean Absolutely. that's what happens and and don't have to be uh hiding behind masks and acting like something uh you know i i played a real weak tough guy i just really never was really really good at it uh but but i thought that's what i needed to be well sure and sure. uh so uh what's your sobriety date uh, june 23rd of 2013 
June 23rd of 2006, 13, 13. 13. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. Cool. I had to do my math in real quick. Uh, I knew you'd been around for a little bit, and you had some sobriety before, too, right? So that's just your... A little, yes. That is my last sobriety date, hopefully. Yeah, that's what I said, uh, my current sobriety date. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll keep it to that one day at a time. That's what I try to do. Yeah. Uh, now it's starting to get a little warm in here. Are y'all warm, or is it just me? Everybody good? Okay, cool. I might tell you to go over and turn off that heater in a minute. Uh, this one will keep on going, and it does pretty good. So, uh, did you grow up around? Where'd you grow up at? I did, Jeffersonville, Indiana. Did you? So you're a I've lifelong. I've lived there all my life. Have you? All yeah. my life. That's yes. I'm one of the guys I can say about the New Albany. You know, I have. I was. I was actually born in a hospital in Louisville. I my birth too. certificate says Louisville. Yes, but yes. Uh, I think mom, everybody was born in Louisville back then. Probably. Maybe so. Maybe mostly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, back then. Golly, man, it set me into this old guy. <clears throat> I know, uh, I know. And you're not <laughs> as old as me, but back then, I don't think they did a whole lot in Clark County or Floyd County over here on this side of the river. That might be the case. Uh, I hadn't, um, mom and dad lived here in New Albany, and I think I have lived in, uh, I have lived in uh, four houses in my life. One of them was probably, I was moved, don't remember, because it was they moved before I was in memory age. Sure. And we lived in another place I can remember just a little bit, and I almost don't think I should be able to remember that, because uh, my I think what I've heard is the stories told to me, yes. and they have become memories. Yes. Because we moved here when I was three, and I can't imagine that I like remembered all this stuff from prior to that. Now, I can remember moving into this house, I can remember plainly at three years old, I can remember... A couple things and that specific anchor stands out to you that stood out yeah. to me. Uh, the one of the things I remember is they dad had taken a medicine cabinet off a wall and it had one of them old kinds of a set in the wall and it had a little slot in it where you dropped a razor, you used razor blades down into the wall. Okay, and I found one of them <laughs> and I cut my finger with it. That's and so that's one of the reasons why I, <laughs> I, I can remember that. Um, but yeah, born and bred in Albany. Yes. And so you're Jeffersonville. Jeffersonville, yes. Grew up in Jeffersonville. Um, had a good childhood, really. Uh, I wish I could blame all my, uh, all the things I did on my childhood, but I was blessed. Uh, my mom and dad both were, uh, both had really good jobs. Uh, my mom was a teacher. My dad was an office manager for a printing company. And we never uh, wanted for anything that we needed, you know. And uh, we were blessed then with that. Uh, I've got one sister. She's four years older than me. And four? I was think, yeah, four years older than me. And I was thinking on today earlier, I, I don't really think ever in my entire life have I really had an argument with my sister. Really? So I've been blessed there, too. Yeah. Uh, we stay pretty close. And uh she doesn't have any of the issues that I've ever dealt with, hmm. to my knowledge. Um, and there was no drinking uh, as I was growing up. After I got sober, I have realized there was some some alcoholic tendencies. My mom's dad was a drinker for many, many years. He was not like me. He could he might only drink once a year, and, but he'd be gone for a week. Oh, really? Yes. And my mom would tell me that when she was a little kid. Remember, she'd be scared to death, you know, will my dad come home. Huh. But there was no drinking in my house. I mean, my dad might get a pizza and drink one beer, you know, but that was it. I, I never watched it growing up. 
But all in all, uh, it was a good childhood. I, when I look back on it, I went to a school where my mom taught. Did you? <clears throat> yes. So when I look back on it a lot, you know, I, I was very much babied throughout the first six grades. And, uh, favoritism, I'm sure, in that school. Yeah. And uh, and I was just full of rotten, to be honest. I mean, you know, I. Uh, and with my parents, uh, my mother, she taught me right from wrong, and so did my father. But my father was poor when he grew up, and he wanted me to have everything he didn't have. Mm. So probably when I look back, probably some of their issues they ended up having it was a direct result of a lot of me because mm. I would push one way to get what I wanted, and the other side would want to, you know, would really just want me to earn it, you know. But uh, they were both great. Then I remember going to Parkview in junior high, seventh grade. And I was blessed with somewhat athletic talent. Uh, Popularity was never an issue. What'd you play? Well, I played basketball and baseball and everything in grade school. Yeah. But in junior high, just football. I didn't make the basketball team. Boy, that was a big, big issue then. You know, because I went from a small pond to a big lake. Yeah. And it was a lot different. And I had a lot of girlfriends. I didn't have a, a real issue with that. But see, I wanted them all. I wanted them all to like me because my thoughts in elementary school, you know, I was the, you know, or I thought I was. My ego was so huge as a kid. And between that and being spoiled, I just, and when I hit that in junior high, things really changed. You know, you just, I wasn't. I didn't feel out of place because I couldn't have. Because, well, I guess I could have. But I. I mean, I. As far as having friends and all that, everything was still really going great. And then, and I don't really remember my first drink. And I will. I do like to say, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. I'm a codependent. I'm a little bit of everything. I can indulge in anything. It's either all the way in or all the way out for me. And I've always been like that. That's my personality. Uh, but I definitely qualify for a lot of these 12-step right, programs, yeah. you know. And I think we all do as we start peeling yes, back the onion. You yes. start seeing more and more, you know, alcoholism and tends to be the big the big bruise that is real evident. But then when it heals, uh, Absolutely. you go, ooh, look at there. Well, yeah, you know. To me, once it was real quick getting sober, kind of, but then I had to learn how to live, and I still am today, and right. I'll be doing that until I die. Right. You know, I know that today. But anyway, about the first drink or whatever, it was about seventh grade, um, blackout drinker from the get-go. I just was. You know, I hear a lot of people's stories, and they talk about how it just gets worse and worse and worse. And my, my story did get worse, worse, and worse because of consequences. But as far as what it did to me, no, it was, I was a full blown when I started, I was a blackout drinker and I'm going to say probably 99% of the time that I drank, I was a blackout drinker wow. every day. And, uh, along the way, of course, marijuana, uh, started, you know, when I was probably a daily smoker of that from early teens until around 30. And then for some reason, I don't know, it just didn't do anything yeah. for me. But at that point, we I that drank every day. Because I did the same thing. You know, one day it just started where I just didn't want it anymore. But when no. I was real young, it was easier to, you know, before I was drinking age, it was easier to get that than it was to get liquor. 
so that you know, dope man didn't care how old you was. No, uh, no, not <laughs> liquor at all. store did. Not at all. Yeah, you're right there. And I tried just about everything along that path. You know, uh, I remember getting into high school and a good friend of mine. He's gone now because of this disease. And he handed me this little piece of paper. And I was getting ready to go into typing class. He said, here, Jenkins. He'd always call me by my last name. And he'd say, chew this up. And I chewed it up because he was a lot of times just full of shit. And I got in that class and about a half an hour later, I was looking around at everybody and started smiling real big. And I thought, what is this? Yeah. And it was acid. Yep. You know, and that was... Back at that point, that other than the drinking, I loved it. Me too, I man. I fell in love it. with it. Uh, but I couldn't. I didn't, couldn't I didn't do just one. I don't think I should be okay today. Well, we never said Maybe you I were ain't. okay today, Dan. <laughs> well, damn it! <laughs> but I did. I loved it. Yes, because I could also I could just keep drinking and keep drinking, mm-hmm. and I'd never get drunk. I remember waking up in the morning, and my back be so sore from just laughing. Yeah. All night long. Yep. yep. But even just like with the alcohol, you know, everybody else was doing a half a hit or doing one hit. And I was like, well, give me four of them. Yeah. Because I was like, if one's good, two's better, three's yeah. got to be better. What's four going to hurt? So I did that a lot in, you know, probably 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, probably about those years. Um, of course, back then, too, we had the Quaaludes that you don't have today. Yeah. And I guess that would be today's downer or, you know, but we'd eat them, chew them up. And I didn't like that because my drinking was so bad. I, I love to drink so much. And you give me one of them and I just, I mean, I two hours later, I'm like, I'll just be out. Right. I like stuff that help me keep drinking. Stay up and stay going. Yeah. yeah I never was a downer dude either. And that's, I think that's a bigger reason why I put down the marijuana. Yes, you know, because it got to be where really what the only thing would be like a, the only thing that was really safe was to do is a nightcap, you know, when I'm ready to quit for the night. Sure, uh, then that'd be okay. But you know, during the night, you know, during the regular course of the day and that kind of stuff, it just didn't do for me what I wanted. Maybe want to chill out and I want to keep drinking. Yes, and if I was drinking and I smoked, then I really got tired and I'd get sleepy and I didn't want that because yep. I wanted to keep drinking. Yep. So and you're same in that regard. Absolutely, and I. uh of course, the cocaine, uh, enjoyed that a lot. Same uh, effect, keep me yes, going. Yes, yes, And I guess the closest thing to what a lot of these young people are struggling with today, uh, the heroin. Uh, I, I have never done any heroin, but I did do Dilatas, and that was very, real popular back then, which I believe is synthet- synthetic yeah. heroin. Yeah, it's on the same spectrum. cancer patients, and I tried that one time. And I did I like it? I guess I did a little bit. It was in and out feeling. I felt like I was great. And then you just like come to for a minute or two. And then I'd just get a real rush again. But thank God I only tried it one time. And, you know, I look at today. Thank God I wasn't young in this day and age because I'd be dead. Yeah. The way I drank, the way I did. I mean, the things I did can kill you, but it's a whole lot slower. Yep, yep. The uh, consequence rate is ramped way up with uh, heroin and other things like that. Yeah, you hit your bottom quickly. And you know, all they're wanting to do is get that same feeling I got off a beer. Yep. That's all they're wanting. Ain't no different. 
Yeah. You know, uh, somebody else said this, uh, the, you know, that liquor was real consistent. You knew what you were getting into when you bought a bottle of Jack or a case of beer. Uh, with that, you really you know. have no idea what you have just put in your palm of your hand or in your vein or your nose or whatever your, however your ingestion method is. Absolutely. Uh, you just have no idea what you're getting. Absolutely. Um, it really is I, a Russian roulette. It's you yes, know, every it single time you are rolling the dice. Yes. Um, so through high school, like I say, it got to where I could, really didn't want to play any more football. Just turn I'll, the knob on the left-hand corner, but be careful because it's sitting up there. And just turn all the way to left. Go ahead with football. I didn't want to play any football anymore as a junior in high school because I was too many extra getting in the way. activities. Yeah, it was. And, um, of course, at that time, too, I wasn't going to a whole lot of high school, so it wouldn't have been long that they wouldn't have let me play anyway. So I remember – Spring of one year, there was only like two months left of school. I I did go to homeroom, and they called me down to the office. I was like, and it was the men's counselor, the dean. So I, I'm walking down. I can see him at his desk. I thought, well, I don't really care what this is about. I knew it was because I hadn't been to school for about two months. And I, so I walked in there, but I couldn't see the chair right beside the door as I walked in. I turned around and looked, and it was my dad. And I was like, oh, my God. So he basically told me that, you know, he didn't see any sense in me even trying to come back anymore for that year. Maybe I could try the alternate school they had down in downtown Jeffersonville the next year to finish out high school. And I remember getting up and leaving his office, and my dad was with me, and I thought, man, this is really going to be bad. And we walked outside of the high school, and he basically just looked up at me, and he said, you made this decision. And he left it to that. I mean, he really, it wasn't, uh, you know, he didn't say a whole lot about it. didn't dress you down or do any of that? No, no, he didn't. Uh, He just left it up to me, I guess, to figure out if I was going to try to go back. And I did in the fall. I went to... uh, the alternate alternative school they had down in Jeff. And, of course, you know, to me, and maybe it's different today, I don't even know if they have anything like that, but back then, I mean, you just put about 200 kids that you kicked out of high school all together, and all they want to do is drink and smoke dope, and, they were, you know, that's all they were doing at the high school, so why do you put them all in a, you know... Yeah, sweep it, them up and pot them out over well, there. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, boy, I've met a lot of new friends down there, you know. And they'd let you leave for half an hour at lunchtime. And, I mean, you know, you never ate lunch. You rode around in the car, smoked four or five joints, and whatever you could get your hands on, come back to school. And then um, hadn't been there a day or two, and I guess I'd met most everybody down there. And at the end of the day, they said, hey, we're taking up a pot. Uh, you want to pitch in a couple bucks? I said, well, what's it for? Well, we have keg parties down on the river after school every day. I said, well, hell yeah, I'm in. Here, let me give you my money. So you got kicked out years ago. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, so, I mean, that went on down there, and that was just insane. I mean, you know, you got 16-year-old kids getting kegs, and one usually wasn't it. They'd go back and get another keg, and then we'd be driving all our cars home, you know. Right. Nine, ten o'clock at night. Unbelievable. Um 
Yeah, the, I remember having, you know, we had some keg parties and stuff. And now that I think back, you know, I mean, this was like, you know, between 16 and 19 years old kind of thing. Multiple kegs someplace out with people coming. And sometimes we didn't know who it was that was coming. And today it's just like insane to think that, that we, one time we went to a Harvest Homecoming and passed out flyers <laughs> at the Harvest Homecoming. And we're that old. We had six keg party. Come on. And, uh, and to think of that is like, and it did, it went south. The party did go south. It ended sure. up in, ended in a big brawl and uh, wrecked cars and broken feelings and all kinds of stuff uh, that, that ended up. But yeah, that's your, well, how old are you? I'll be 56 in March. Okay. Not as old as I look. Yep, but that's years, yeah. And that's what I, everybody will tell me at work. Because yeah, I just turned 50, and you know, a 50. lot of what we're talking about are like right on parallel. And of course, uh, you know, like almost like we went to school together or something. Sure. I mean, uh, we're sure. To, <laughs> not that not that much difference, really, yeah, in right. age. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, a few DUIs. Uh, back then, it wasn't as bad. You could, you know, spend about $500 and you could get out of one and get it erased. But uh, several. I, I mean, I was the world's worst. You know, I, I would love to get so drunk and black out, but then I love to drive. Yeah. You I know, like to drink and drive. Insanity. Too. You know, I, I'm so it was blessed. a safe place. It felt like, you know, I'd like to go driving around. I would get beer and go drive around for hours, sometimes by myself. Sure. Sometimes with other people, you know, and I mean, and purposely, the point was, I mean, now I think about it, really what I was doing, I felt like if I kept moving, because when you stopped and parked, the cops would come screw with you. <laughs> Yeah. So if you kept in motion, <laughs> so you kept you moving, fine. you know, and you kept your car under the speed and you didn't run red lights and you didn't, you know, and you go out in the country out here, you know, and get out of way and drive around. And, 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 and I didn't, you know, it, it, for whatever reason, it felt safe. But the whole purpose was that you, I might as well said, mom, dad, I'll be back later. I'm going out drinking and driving <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that is true though. It is. Uh and I got lucky because there in my early 20s, I mean, I, I racked them up. I mean, uh, but I would get lucky. I'd get one in Jefferson County. Then I'd get one over here in Clark County. Mm. Then I'd get one back in Jefferson County. And they never would tie them together. Hmm. You know, had they have, maybe, maybe I would have quit sooner. You know, had I ever had to really pay the consequences. Yeah, the consequences of, would have escalated. But yeah, it just but didn't. And that wasn't my story, you know. Because so, a lot of people, you lose your license, you know, like we got that one friend that says uh, he lost his license for life twice. Uh, well, and I'm that guy. Yeah, you, I'm that guy. I've Yeah, I've lost him for 10 years. I lost him for life once. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, and then I met a girl at the alternate school, and we ended up having three kids together. Uh, she liked to do what I did, but not near to the extreme that I did course i really couldn't get with a woman that did because i needed somebody to take care of me too mm-hmm. looking back on it i know because <clears throat> really every relationship i've ever been in the girl would drink party a little but not not near like me you yeah, know i had sense. to have somebody be able to you know call in sick for me do whatever you know play mom absolutely <laughs> and that's basically what they did but we were married and uh Right out of high school, uh, I got a job at that printing company that my dad was an office manager at, finally. The Binghams owned it uh, over in Louisville. Big printing company. 
And, uh, I mean, right when I walked in there, and, you know, you always hear people say painters, plumbers, printers, they're all drunks. And I thought that, but that's just because that's who we found in those places, you know. But that was fantastic. It was a union job. I was 19, and I think back then it it leveled out around $13 an hour. But that's when a pack of cigarettes was about a dollar and a quarter, you know. And you could work all the overtime you ever wanted. And usually your overtime shift, you'd only work four hours and get paid for a full shift. And there was a little place right across the street called the S&H Bar and Grill. And that was great. Because you could leave, you could take 45 minutes, you could take an hour. They really didn't, you know, they just didn't watch it. And and we'd go over there. I loved working the second shift because I didn't have to be at work until 5 and I got off at 1 o'clock in the morning. So that was perfect. I'd work three or four hours, go over about 9, nine o'clock, 8, 9 o'clock at night. And, you know, we'd shoot down 8 or 10 anyway just mugs of beer real quick, as quick as we could, and go back to work. And then we just lay around. You know, as long as the presses kept running, you didn't have to do anything. Yeah. You just laid on rolls of paper. Uh, so that uh, that went south. Finally, they ended up selling that printing company. But right about a year before they did, uh, they laid me off. That's where they had the big shooting years ago down there right uh, yeah that's a really famous thing standard reviewer yeah, and, uh, and i knew all those guys i kind of you know, lost the guy's name all. that did it i just joe w yeah yep. but uh, I, I knew him that. very well did you yeah yeah very well and so the layoff was right before the shooting about a, this about, guy laid off no i was laid off. i know but he wasn't that well no, i was just he wondering was still there he was a journeyman i was still an apprentice uh, it only lasts. I, I didn't even get. I didn't even make journeyman because I was only in my third year of apprenticeship. And they were laying some people off, and thank God they laid my dad off. Well, they didn't lay him off. They offered him a buyout type thing. So yeah. he got out, and like four months later is when all that happened. And he mm-hmm. went up through the offices, and my dad probably would have been right there at the front when he come off the elevator. Wow. So. You get blessings and don't even know it yeah, at the right. time. Yeah, You know. It's that whole Chuck C. thing, that new pair of glasses thing, where I can look at stuff with a completely different view today, you know. Absolutely, than we did when it happened. Yeah. You know. But, so I was laid off from there. I didn't, you know, I didn't go to college or anything. My mom and dad would have paid for me, you know. But I knew better. And I sure didn't want to go to any more school. I didn't even like school when I went to school. Yeah. So... That's after more school was, what are you talking oh, about I know you know, it. people saying you need to go to college i like nah i didn't like high school oh, you know I, <laughs> why do that so then uh so i sat around got unemployment i guess when i was laid off there for a while and by that time we had three kids small kids i had moved in a home my mom had a couple of homes uh one was my grandfather's my sister had lived there for about a year when she got married and then they bought a home down on the river my mom called me one night and she said hey barry would would you all be interested in living in that house out there evergreen circle for a little bit until you and at first i thought i don't want to live out there you know well i still live there (laughs) yeah i went out there at 21 and then finally uh she passed away six years ago and Mm. you know so yeah i never left true alcoholic you know give me a chance and I, yeah i'll take it 
so we were living out there and i lost a job at the printing company and um I didn't have any real skill of any sorts. Nobody wanted to hire you in the printing industry because you came from a union shop. They wouldn't even talk to you, you know. So I was sitting around. My dad was sitting there, and he really didn't have anything to do. And I thought, you know what? We ought to just start a landscape company. And he just he was like, what? Of course, now he's got all the money. I ain't got anything but unemployment. Yeah, We you know. should start. Yes, yes. So, of course, I talked him into it. And we did that for three or four years. He spent almost everything that he ever put in retirement. Hmm. He lost in that. And just alcoholism. I was sick, you know, but... uh, I didn't put forth... When I look back at it now, I didn't put forth any effort you know, uh, but at the time I thought I was doing a lot, you know, Yeah. but I wasn't doing nothing. I mean, I was, but anyway, it's like our little he, plans and designs, you know, right? yes. because a thing like that can work out and, and we are hard workers at times. Absolutely. You know, we wake up, you know, we're some of the doggone hardest workers people find. And if right? we're interested in what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But when we're sick. No we're matter sick. what you want, you know, Absolutely. no matter where your intentions and motives lie. You can't. You you're right. Can't. You're right. Uh, he lives well today. Uh, he still had a good retirement, yeah. thank God. And Is he still around? Yes. That's we're cool. very close. Uh, cool. In fact, we're going back to Kentucky yeah, Lake. Yeah. yeah, that's what, yeah. We're going back to Kentucky Lake, Seen May 3rd, 4th, and 5th. And, uh, yeah, he's still making it. He'll be 88 in April. Dang on. That's yep. cool. I've been blessed. Yeah. So like, so that's six years difference in between your dad and my dad. Okay. And about six, more six years difference between funny. me and you. That is Dad's funny. 82 up there, and, you know, he's okay. active as all get out, you know. That's, and, you know he insists on pushing mowing the grass, and when he moved in, that was one of the conditions he had, you know. Okay, well, I got some things to talk about because I want to make sure we're clear. And there's some couple things I want I, I need to have out of this arrangement. Uh, you know, I'm thinking, you know, um, what? You know, well, first off, I'm cutting the grass. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I can go with that. Uh, <laughs> sure. And uh, yeah, so that's 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 cool. That uh, so y'all have always done that together, fishing and that kind of thing. We have. We've always been very close. Yeah. Uh, very Do you hunt? close. When I was a kid, I uh, would squirrel hunt a lot. Was um, your dad? Or? My dad would squirrel. You know, he did as a kid. So yeah. he, he got me into that. I squirrel hunted a lot. And uh, for about 10 years there, I had coon hounds. Ah. I used to go to a lot of hunts out of state. And uh, yep. I was really there again. I was full-blown into that. Yeah, right. I still had two or three nights a week that I would drink solid. But I used the marijuana more of a... You know, yeah, coon hunting and drinking hard is not necessarily. I never a, drank yeah. when I hunted. That's the only time. But I would use the marijuana to get me through the week while I hunted. You know, yep. it was either or. It. Yep, either or for me. But other than that, I know I love to fish, and uh, I got into trapping. Set a lot of traps Did as you? a kid in high school and all i dabbled a little of that too yeah when chick Fun. opened up his place over there chicken yeah yep. and when he yep. did that I remember. we'd ride bicycles over there and chick could talk to us about trapping and we dabbled around and uh yep oh i loved it yeah i loved it there again i was full blown into that yeah. you know when i did it i couldn't wait to take the furs every year to sell them and you know 
Back in the early 70s, I remember uh, Red Fox, we'd get $100. Raccoons, we were getting $75 a skin, you know. And uh, we'd get bunches of them, you know. And that gave us extra money, yeah. you know, to just yeah. do everything that we did, yeah. dabbled with. That's what I like about sitting. That's one of the really cool things to sit here talking to people is that I get to know, I get to hear a lot of things and learn about somebody. That's uh, true. Learn a lot about either a friend. Well, or sometimes a person sitting there, I just met them, you know, so then I get to know them like that. Well, sure. I'm not sure where these things would have come up in conversation otherwise. Absolutely. I love it. Then, uh, let's see, in my mid 20s, um, I got a distribution charge in possession. And, uh, of course, it was in Clark County, so I had a probation officer down there, Frank D., and uh, nobody really liked Frank because Frank did his job, mm-hmm. and he wasn't, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but he'd been sober 16 years, mm-hmm. and uh, even people in AA, a lot of them, he was very controversial because he didn't sugarcoat anything in a meeting. He just flat out, you know, I never forget um, a newcomer, a younger guy was in a meeting. He talked about how he broke in these warehouses and stole stuff and all that. And I saw Frank just lean back in his chair, and I thought, oh, my God, he's getting ready. And he said the alcohol made him do it, and that's why he broke in those warehouses. And Frank just pulled his hand up like that, that he wanted to speak. And, I remember when that boy was done, Frank said, well, first off, you're just a thief. <laughs> Alcohol didn't make you break in any place. You're a thief. And until you realize that, you're probably never going to get any better. And, and that's just the kind of guy he was. But anyway, so I was on probation for that uh, possession and dealing charge. And uh, for about six months, I was on home incarceration too, six months home incarceration. Somehow or another, I, I don't remember this exactly. I got a DUI. And anyway, I had to on go see incarceration? Frank. <laughs> I can't. Maybe maybe the DUI, maybe I was on probation. Yeah. And then when I got the DUI, that's what it was. Yeah, I then when I got the DUI, then I got six months yeah. home incarceration. If I knew I was going to be telling this story, I'd have kept better track. That's right. <laughs> and uh, so I knew I had to go down there and see him on Friday. I didn't know he was in AA. I didn't know any of that. I just knew he was a mean son of a bitch. I mean, I was a little bitty guy, frail, 100 pounds probably, and he was just rough. And I walked in there, and I said, Frank, I got to have. I got to tell you something. I was scared to death. And he said, I already know. And I said, what? He said, you got a DUI the other night. I said, Wow. He took out a piece of paper and he wrote down an address. And he said, here. He said, go down go down there. They might be able to help you. And it was the address of the old token club in Jeffersonville. And he told me to go to a couple meetings. Still didn't tell me he had, you know, that he was a member or anything like that. So I went down there. I got six months home incarceration. And I actually was able to quit drinking for a year. I still smoked, but I still, I was as sober as I'd ever been since I was 12 years old. I was so proud of not having to drink all that time. And I was on home incarceration, and um, he called me one day. He said, what are you going to do on Derby Day? And I said, 
I'm thinking, what do you think I'm going to do? Yeah. I'm on home incarceration. He said, well, I'm having a party. Why don't you bring your wife and why don't you all come down to my house? And and I thought, yeah, this is going to be a whole lot of fun. I didn't want to go at all, you know. So we you go almost down. kind of feel like you have to, right? I, mean, I felt, had to. It felt I less than an invitation, like, but an order. I had to go. So we show up there, and believe it or not, we had a fantastic time. And they were all sober friends of his, mm. you know. But I thought, what are we going to do? We can't drink. You can't smoke. You can't. And we didn't. So really, when I look back and they talk about the seed being planted, yeah. it was planted. It was planted back then. Yeah. When we left there, my ex-wife was like, you know, this that really was fun. We had a good time. So after that, into um, my, we got divorced. She got tired of me. She was really my first prisoner. Yeah. And I went through two others before I met Kathy. And, uh, I mean, as far as that goes, I'm friends with them today. Uh, you know, I've done my amends. Uh, I don't, there was always a good side of Barry. But then there was, you know, the other side of Barry that was very sick. Thing, man. Yes. Yeah. Um, the DUIs were really mounting up, you know, and, and I'm not at all. I don't say this, too, but I've never heard the story of anybody that had anywhere near mine. I mean, I had over a dozen in yeah. my, and I mean, I was probably let go six times at least that I should have went to jail. I mean, that's just how insane I was. And it wasn't like, you know, my mom, after so many, and my mom and dad never really got on me about the drinking. I guess they knew it wouldn't do any good. Hmm. But she occasionally would say, Barry, have you ever thought about quitting? Are you crazy? <laughs> I always knew it was more money to pay out. That's all it was every time I got. I would be mad. I'd be mad at myself for getting caught. But it was never, uh, that was not an option. I couldn't. You know, and it I got it didn't occur to me. You know, I had two before I was nineteen, and I then I, well, the only thing I did I learned to do it better. You know, and absolutely. Like, you know, stopping drinking, driving never occurred to me. It was like, okay, well, I've got caught twice. What do you do to not get caught? <laughs> I know, I know. Um, a dozen or more. It it just uh, you know I guess and I want to go back when I first drank at 12 13 years old what it did for me and I heard this off an old speaker tape one night years ago but it is exactly what it did for me it's like turning on the neon lights when I drank it was like the world was just totally different yeah and at 12 or 13 years old I was like this is going to be an issue because like I said I was already a blackout drinker but I was like we got to do this somehow or another this is it for the rest of my life yep it's like having the golden key it was like, okay i found it that's it that's it now that's I how i out, feel you know, this is what i need this is what i'm gonna be doing but um in the 30s i did a total of 18 months home incarceration three six months stints and that's just because of spending a lot of money on attorneys and getting lucky just getting through the you know, the system. Yep. Yeah, um, if you knew some people, like parents knew so-and-so, that kind of thing, and then if you had some money. And in Clark County, you, you could, could do that. Yep, right. It was, yep. yeah. That's all it was, really. Yep. 
I remember one night about four o'clock in the morning, I probably didn't go to bed about midnight, but I woke up with this extreme pain in my lower left part of my body. And I, I sat there and I, for about an hour, hour and a half, and I thought, I don't know what this is, but I can't, I got to go to the emergency room. I can't, you know, because I didn't want to go. You know, I was drunk. I was everything. So I got down there and they did run all kinds of blood tests and all, and it was pancreatitis. Mm-hmm. And some type of alcoholic liver disorder, they called it back then. <clears throat> so uh, this little doctor comes in. He wasn't a doctor. He just was like a chaplain or something there at the hospital. And they basically told me, it just you know, it was a, about a 24-hour period. We just got to see what happens with you. So it wasn't like you're okay. You're going to be great. It was like, let's just see if you stabilize. And, and he came in and asked me if I'd ever heard of AA. Because that's really their only solution is a 12-step program, you know. Uh, and so I got out of there, and I think maybe I went a week without drinking. Maybe. And then I was I'm just probably right proud by. of that, too, you know. You, huh? you go like five, six, oh seven days and not drink or something, you know, man. Oh, You're my like, gosh. Hell, I don't have a problem. It's a miracle. So I was back at it hard. About a year later, same thing, pancreatitis back in the hospital for about three days got out again about a week later started right back into it now at that time i was maybe 35 and i didn't actually quit i was 47 so i still 11 years hammering it every day what you drink mostly beer that was my favorite drinker too that was my favorite i drink anything you had as long as you had enough of it yeah Whiskey you know, take me out of the game too quick, and hard liquor usually take me into like the same kind of thing as what we were talking about earlier. I wanted to stay in the game. Sure. And I could drink beer all day long. I could pretty much drink beer until I was ready to stop. Yeah. Yeah, beer was Whatever my that was, it was made me ready to stop, whether if it was, you know. <laughs> what, well, sure. But, but yeah, I could, I could continue to drink beer most all day. That was my favorite. Um, and then about, I don't know... 40, I was probably about 44, 45, and I'd been, doctors had for years had been saying, when I'd go in for a physical or whatever, they would look at me and say, are you diabetic? And I felt like, you're the doctor, yeah, and, you, tell you know, me. but I guess I was borderline for so long. So then they found out, I guess they finally said I was, and they, you know, and, and he knew I drank, and he said, you know, you, you got to quit. There's no way you can put this kind of sugar in your body on a daily basis. You're not going to live. And, of course, I was a smoker all my life, too. So I was smoking three or four packs of cigarettes a day, too, just like I drank. And uh, so I went home, and I thought, so I got on the computer, and I thought, well, I'll figure this out. There's got to be a solution. I know there is. So when I, it's probably not even accurate, but I come up with the assumption that I could drink vodka. <laughs> vodka's got i thought or read that it had the least amount of sugar and i'll never forget my youngest boy he was in clark county jail at the time and i went to see him over one of those video things is all they let you do then he asked me about how i was doing and all that and i told him about they told me you know i had to quit drinking and all and he said so what are you gonna do and I said, well, I found out I can drink vodka. And I'll never forget his face on that video thing. He started laughing. He said, you're a crazy son of a bitch. He said, you're never going to quit, are you? And I said, no, I don't think so. 
And so that, that went on a couple of years. And uh, my oldest son was in some trouble. <laughs> and, and he was staying down at Jerry's place in Jeffersonville. Mm-hmm. But he was able to come home some. I had gotten off work on a Sunday night um, at 6. Uh, I never could even make it home. I mean, I had to stop at the Thornton's off Blankenbecker Parkway, and I, I had to get, got my beer every never. night. Had Unless to. it was already in the car. That's the only yes. way I didn't stop. That, I already that's had some ice down cooler in the back or whatever if I already had it on board. I would buy two double deuces, and that's what it took to get me from Blankenbecker Parkway to Evergreen Circle in Jeffersonville, <laughs> and they'd be gone. Sometimes I'd have to nurse that second one going across the bridge. That's how, that's sick. I, I mean, that's it. how I sick totally I was. Too, I used but to drive I had to around and I'd come home, you know, because I wasn't ready to get home yet. You know, I needed to, <laughs> I would just buy cans of 12 ounces, you know, and maybe a 30 or 12 or whatever. You know, I had sure. no idea what made me grab the particular number out of the box at any particular time. Sure. I never did buy them big beers, though. Not until I started playing sober. You know, I started playing sober. I would grab them big beers, and, so, and, yeah. and <laughs> I don't, I don't really know what that equation was, but yeah, I would ride around. You know, I might even just be right here, yeah, like within a block of home, but not want to go home yet. So I drink a couple more beers before I get here. I hear you, <laughs> insanity. So why, uh, I was at home. I'd probably had twelve or fifteen. He didn't. He'd been to an AA meeting down in Jeffersonville that night. He was court-ordered to go, mm-hmm. and he was staying at the house that night. So he came in a little after 9 o'clock, jumped on the couch beside me, and he started that AA preaching, started that preaching. Not you know. this shit again. Yes, and he started that preaching. And like I say, what I tell people is I wasn't halfway done for the night. Like I say, I was trying to mainly drink vodka, so I had a gallon of vodka on top of the refrigerator. I had at least 30 beers in the refrigerator, and I'd probably already drank 15 anyway. Yeah. I was a fast drinker, too. That's the top of my head. You'd say, hey, Barry, let's go uh, Let's go have a couple beers. And said, no, man, I can't. I'm diabetic. I can only drink vodka. <laughs> no, I'd have went. I'd have found something to drink. We'd have been okay. Yeah. So he so he comes in there on that couch, and, and he starts talking all the AA stuff. He's all hyped up. It's all juiced and, up. Uh, he was juiced up. And you hear about spiritual experiences, and I know it tells you in the big book about bills. And, you know, a lot of people just have them over time when they work the steps and stuff like that. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will think I'm totally insane, or I was totally drunk at the time. But I'm sitting on my love seat in my living room. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And I heard something said why don't you try something different and that's all it was and I sat there for a minute and the first time in my life I ever really truly listened to anybody you can call it whatever it was Mm -hmm. it was not a thought it was like somebody spoke to me and I sat right there on my couch. I didn't say a word, but I thought, why don't I? Why don't I just try? So I get up. I walk in my kitchen. I threw the beer away. I walked back in there, and I sat down. And I looked at Anthony. And I said, I think I'm done. 
And he just looks over at me and he goes, done what? I said, I think I'm done drinking. And he looked at me and he said, bullshit, you ain't done drinking. I said, no, I think I'm done. I said, I'm going to go down to the token club in the morning. I'm going to go to the lunch bunch. I said, I'm done. I'm sure he thought that would never happen. Yeah. The next morning, I went down to the Jeff Token Club, and I went to the lunch bunch. I knew those people. That year I was in there, I knew those people were happy. They all said they weren't drinking, and I believed them. I thought there's got to be a better way. So... At that point, I just, I really, I feel like I dove in. I mean, I just knew it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work for me. I knew those 12 steps up on the wall. When I looked at them, I thought, this is just utter bullshit. This is not going to change anything about the way I feel about wanting alcohol or anything like that. But a couple of the old timers that I, you know, like I say, I went to a meeting every day there right at first, and uh, I met a couple of the old timers. A couple of them have already passed away, but they made me feel right at home. And so I watched and I asked them, I said, you know, what do I need to do? What all do I need to do if I want to stay sober? And they basically told me, get you a sponsor. You know, meeting makers make it. And I hear that today still, and I still believe that. Yeah, we got to work the steps, but you let this crazy-ass mind get away from these meetings, I know where I'll go because I know how I am and how I think. I have to see it on a daily basis and be reminded of mm. it. But that's what I did. And uh, about six months being sober, it's funny, my mom was on me about I wasn't dating anybody because I knew I'd have to find a girl that didn't drink at all. It wouldn't be the girl, it would be me. I thought, I just know me, I can't be, you know, if if any female, I was so addicted to them too, if any female would have said, well, can't you just have one? I know what I would have said, yeah, sure, let's go, yeah, I'm sure I can, mm-hmm. why not? And so she said, well, a lot of people bury them meeting online nowadays. I thought, well, I can't even, I, at that point, I couldn't even work a computer hardly. You know, I'd never been on them. So I get on there, and I get on this dating site, and I start talking to this woman from Bradford, Indiana, right up there by Greenville. Yeah. And that's Kathy that I'm married to today. So that's how we met. Uh, and she is one that maybe drank a little in high school but never liked it. Mm-hmm. You know, little marijuana, never really liked it. And uh, she is a blessing in my life. Yeah. She has been. She is what I needed. There's, there's just no way. And it's funny. We, She said, yeah, I'd like to go to a meeting with you. And we went to a meeting, and it was a discussion meeting. And when we left there, and she goes, I think I'm one of you all. And I said, do what? And she said, I really think I'm one of you all. And I said, what do you mean? You said you never drank. She said, no, but I think just like you. Hmm. She said, my mind works just like yours. So that's been a blessing because, like I say, a couple nights a week anyway, we go to meetings together, Yeah, you know. And I, I still try to hit a lot of meetings. I've uh, been through a lot in recovery. Um, about six months, maybe, no, no, no. I was sober a uh, little over a year or so. Uh I had a nephew 
and he had had some issues with heroin, and they had had to call an ambulance two or three times. And so he went to Evansville, tried some treatment for about 40 days. They thought he was doing better, and he OD'd and died mm. down in his basement of my sister's house. Oh. That was rough. Thank God I was sober to help them get through it. Uh, my mom wrote me a note after the funeral and said, you know, Barry, you don't know how much it means to me that you were there for the family to hold us all together. And it was funny, though, when I got sober and I talked to my mom every night on the phone, we'd talk. And after a month or two, I'd be all hell-bent or twisted one way or another, and my mom would just say, Barry, one day at a time. Hmm. That's what you tell me. But it's funny how the program, when you get around people that's never even been in the program, but they listen to you enough, it starts working in their life. Yep. And it did in hers. And I got her a few, uh, I got her, picked her up a few books um, from Al-Anon. And they really helped her. But And, and she had those before his death, you know, because she was struggling so much. Because really, the most part probably is watching the pain my sister was going through. Right, yeah. yeah. You know. But so the program really did, really did help my mom um, the last 18 months or so of her life. And it was such a blessing. Uh, several of her good friends, when I would see them or something, they'd pull me to the side and they'd say, you don't know how proud your mother is of you. Hmm. And I'd say, no, I do. She's told me, you know. And my mom said, "It's Barry, you've given me the best blessing." I've ever had in my entire life, you being sober. Yeah. And that, you know, I was just so gifted that she lived long enough to see me pull together. Right, yep. You know. It's a miracle for me, too, you know. That's uh, just a blessing. Mom died when I was just about 13, 14 months sober and uh, was able to get out of the woods, and she saw that happen. But, yeah, I'm real blessed that that, that happened. That's a lot of people don't get that, yep. you know. Um, then she passed away, and that was, uh, she'd been, she'd had heart conditions. So mm. she was, uh, you know, but it, there again, I don't, you know, my God does stuff just so amazing. She was put on hospice. I was able to go to her house and sit down with her the week before she died. Mm. And I was just sitting there, and I really didn't want to cry in front of her. You know, but my yep. mom just looked at me, and I, I just said, it's rough. I said, it's just rough knowing you're not going to be here, you know. And we got up, and she hugged me and said, it's all going to be okay, Barry. And, uh, but that was rough. Um, I went through uh, several surgeries. I've got a lot of blockage in my legs, and I've, I probably got more stents than anybody in southern Indiana, I'm yeah. sure. I've had a couple uh, in my chest. Then I had real struggle with my legs. I had two stents put in about eight years ago. And then it got to where I could still work, but it was hard to get around the small, uh, worked in a small furniture store down in New Albany for years. And finally, I went to uh, one of the specialists, a vascular surgeon that I've had this whole time, and had a test done in June of last year. And when he walked in, he said, we got some real issues. We're, we just have to address them. And he said, we're going to have to do a bypass or something. Your blood pulse, your rate down in your feet is down less than 30%. And 
And if it gets much worse, we'd have to amputate, you know. Yeah. So I said, well, what makes you a heart doctor tried it just a couple of years ago and couldn't even get in the catheterization and all that to try to stent anything. What makes you think you can? It's probably isn't the right question to ask a specialist. Yeah. And he looks at me and he said, because I try harder. Huh. And he said, so we'll try to stent them first. And if we can't, we will have to bypass and you'll be off an extensive time of work. So we, I was lucky enough, June, July 18th of 2019, I went in for what was a 45-minute procedure. Ended up being six and a half hours. Yeah. I lost a liter and a half of blood. I had Kathy in the waiting room in that little room that they put you when it's not good news. And they hadn't told her anything that yeah. whole time. And then finally he came in and he said it was successful. I yeah. was able to open Yeah, well, he can't really take a time out, up. can he? He's got to keep no. on. Tra- he said he was going to try harder. <laughs> well, I knew when I woke up and this nurse, I, the first thing I remember is this nurse standing there beside me watching this machine. And this other nurse walked by and said, you need to go to the bathroom. And she said, I'm not leaving right here. I thought, this isn't good. <laughs> yeah. She's not even wanting to go to the restroom. But anyway, so I'm blessed. I can walk now. Just another gift from God. I yeah, thought right. I'd never be able to again. Is this diabetes related to this uh, circulation? No, this I just, just think heart. it's heart disease. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My mom suffered with it. She had bad legs for years just to where she couldn't walk far. She'd have to stop and sit down <laughs> because it's just blockage in your arteries. Yeah. You know. Yep. And it's, it's really it's not that hereditary. you got a bad heart. It's all the areas going to your heart and the blood flow. Right, yep. You know, so I'm sure somewhere down the road, I'll, if I live long enough, I'll struggle with it again. You know, probably have to do another procedure. Or, but, uh, you know, the thing is, all the I've, I've probably been through more in sobriety in a lot of ways than I ever went through all the years I was in the madness. I certainly have. It's, it's a weird kind of thing, you know, but there's also that veil that's back there where like some things aren't just real clear you know and it didn't have the impact and i didn't see them for what they were in a way that i see them today you know and i've had a couple you know between dad's health issues and a couple other things and something i haven't really put on the air yet and uh, <clears throat> that that have hit pretty damned hard and i know without a shadow of a doubt that without this program and my brothers and this fellowship and the doing these things that i'm doing None of that would have went well. No. I'm able to walk through difficult things, do hard shit today uh, with grace. And, and even actually more than that, actually, I can actually walk through it. And like you were talking about, be the healthy one sometimes and and uh, and play that role because of this whole 12-step thing being in my, in my life. Sure. Well, and I will say, and it's all because of you, that me and Kathy came over there to TSSR. Because we kept watching you at Northside, and I was like, damn, there's something there. There's something there. And my sponsor is Christopher C. Yeah. I didn't we say share that. share a sponsor. That's, I, didn't, I hadn't said that yet, but uh, working the 12 steps through the TSSR, uh, I just gained a lot of closure. Uh, so just for the story kind of thing, you know, I met you all over there, and I was, you know, I, I, I was sentenced to home incarceration, and I was scared to death, and I was doing a little bit of that coming to that meeting doing that playing sober thing I was telling you all about because I was uh, I was out on bail, you know, and you're really not supposed to be drinking when you're out on bail. That's one of the little small mm. print things down there. It says that. 
Uh, <laughs> supposed to shy away from it. Yeah, and uh, and I had a divorce decree that said I couldn't drink when I had the kids, and I can't believe today that I actually signed up for that. Uh, you know, it's actually in my divorce decree that when I have the kids, mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to drink. Uh, <laughs> and so the second I dropped them off, and I was free, and I knew when I had windows because I mean that one it really got difficult because I really had to look out because I needed everybody to think I was sober. I need everybody sure to think I'm sober. So I got to do this one on the real deal, you know. God, that had to be hard. Yeah, it was, you know, and just buying just enough because then, you know, and then at the end of the night, you had to dispose of all that. So you couldn't get drunk enough that you couldn't, you know, get rid of the stuff. You know, I'd take it, put in somebody else's garbage and all that, you know, walk up the street, put the bottles in the cans in somebody else's garbage and uh, hide out. And uh, But at the time I was starting to go, I was going to meetings, you know, and I was seeing you all. Mm-hmm. You know, and then then whatever happened happened, and I hit the spiritual underground, and and in my life, my trajectory of my life changed, changed. that day, just boom, because I met you know I met, I, and that's the guy, the first guy I heard speak in this meeting of dudes was him, okay. and there was something different. He was saying something that was hitting me, sure. unlike anything I you know I've been since 2011, and this is 2014. I've been going to meetings, and I put together one of them years, sure, of not drinking. Sure. I did some other things. Yeah. But we was in AA. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> this was You weren't in NA. Right. I wasn't doing do. any of that earth yeah. stuff, you know. And uh and I took that one year token, you know, and, and was to some extent proud of it because I really did not drink for a year. And I didn't do a lot of other things. Sure. You know, when like I was madhousing it. But anyway, to get to that, I'd been to a lot of meetings, and this guy talked, and I heard him say something, and there were some other guys in the room that shared a level was different than what I was hearing any place else I'd ever went. And uh, and and all I knew is that I would be back here next Tuesday. You know, and 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 I was still playing sober, and I come in here and tell them, you know, how you how you, oh you back cool man good da, da, da. how you doing fine I'm doing good you know uh, great actually you know that line the whole time and you know one day uh. One day I wasn't doing great, and I spilled my beans in that meeting, because that's what people were doing. They were sharing the truth, and I was scared, and uh, and it, things weren't looking good. It was looking like I was really going to go to prison, and I spilled my beans in there flatly because I was freaking scared, and those guys were modeling that for me. Sure. They were coming in there, and when it come out to talking about a burning desire, guys were doing real burning desires about stuff that was deep, and it wasn't... It was real stuff. And so I, somehow or another, God gave me a power to do that one night. <clears throat> and Christopher walked up to after me after that meeting, made a beeline to me. And I've been wanting him to sponsor me, but we do a sponsorship call and you say, everybody raise your hands that, that uh, will and able to sponsor a guy through 12 steps right now. And he never raised his hand. Sure. I kept watching for him to do that. But, and then that night he come up and he said something to me. He said, hey man, I would like to sponsor you. And he gave me a list of things I had, the hoops I had to jump through in order to do that. But it didn't matter what he said. You know, if he if he said you had to bring me a pee sample every other day or if you had to. Sure. You know, whatever he said, I was going, you yeah. Was, you was willing I was going, to do yeah. it. And I didn't know. He said, you, can you meet on Tuesday nights after this meeting? Because that's when my available time is. I just said, yeah. And I continued to do that through him guiding me through the work. And I didn't know that I was doing this methodology is now documented in that book because that book didn't exist at that point in time. And he sure. was talking about it, 
but I didn't know what he was talking about. And all I wanted to know was how to stay sober and how to stay out. Man, mainly, I didn't even, I was less concerned with staying sober than with staying out of jail. jail. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's all I really wanted. I did sure. not. Because, I mean, I, you know, and I'm still convinced to this day, I'm just not really good prison material. Well, probably uh, not, man. Just, yeah. Probably not. And, uh, and, and. So I was just telling him, yeah, but he was talking about this book he was writing, you know, and he was beginning to share his life with me, you know, and it started to be this stuff, you know, and I really didn't understand that at first. I did have a little bit of this like, man, you are my sponsor. You're supposed to be listening to my shit. <laughs> no, I never said that, but in the back of the head, right well, there, sure. you know, and then when I had real big problems, he'd give me these real weak answers like pray about it. And uh, and, and some magic really happened when I started actually listening to him and and, and doing that stuff. But then one day uh, he said, hey, man, I got this book and it's in really good shape and I'd like you to read. I got a chapter here. I won't bring it on Tuesday night. I'd like you to read this chapter. And I was honored like a mug, man. I was hopped up. He said, you got to keep on downloading a little bit because I ain't letting everybody read it. Sure. And so he shows up and it's almost like some kind of a spy novel thing where you're out in the parking lot and he slips me this manila folder and i slip it in my jacket and walk over and stick it in the car you know and take it home and eat it up at night and uh and then i said okay wait good great awesome loved it when's the next chapter he said well it'll be a little bit and uh and so then we started doing this deal out in the parking lot where i would give him a manila folder of the chapter i just read he'd give me another manila folder of the next chapter and we just did that and for a while, you know, and I remember, remember when I went to Japan? Yeah. Uh, I think I got, ch- I think I got the chapter on step four. It was either four or five, one of them, and it's long. It mm-hmm. gave me one of those, and, you know, that's a long flight to Japan, too. Oh, so it was yeah. interesting that I got that big old thing of Three. reading material. At the same time, I was going to have this big old plane flight. So time went by, you know, and we started reading it, and the book come out. You know, when we started having the meetings and I knew y'all were talking about it because I saw when I, because I, you know, it was a little iffy to be sharing about that in meetings, but I would always share it under the guise and I wasn't really meaning this doesn't mean, you know, this is my new Omni hillbilly bullshit. Not that I was trying to pull the wolves over somebody's eyes or something, but I truly was sharing it from the, from the level of, Hey man, everybody understands that this 12 thing, 12 step thing is working. That's what we're all in here talking about. Sure. And we all say, I wished my wife or wished my mom or I wished my uncle wished my employer had this program, but nobody was really doing anything to make that happen. And this looked like that was the deal that this was a way and a door to say, hey, hey, now your mom or your wife or your whoever has a place to go and come check out this meeting. And I like remember your all's ears perking up because I can tell when I read people because I when I talk and share and stuff, I see and I look around at people and you see people who are into what you know, that are engaged with what you're talking about and people who are not and other people who are like. You know, yeah, what the hell are you talking about? So we started this stuff, and y'all came right off the of bat, pretty much, right? I mean, it mm-hmm. was just pretty close, right after we, after a month. Yeah, about a month after y'all started. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and I guess it's about. I don't know what that. If that did you start going to spiritual underground at the same time or right after Christopher started? So you really started me. going to TSSR first. Got Christopher. Yeah, asked him to sponsor yes. you, and then and started then coming said, to hey, the spiritual you come to this Tuesday too. night meeting. Yeah, yeah, because cool, that's uh, that's how I kind of want to spend some time because we're up at that time level, and uh, and uh, and you did that, and you know, and like uh, I was tickled to death, you know, because I know, uh, 
whatever that dude has got, he's got a way of transferring some knowledge and some some of this this new pair of glasses stuff. Oh, he does. Most uh, definitely. In, in a very effective way, you know, and the people he works with in his professional life all will, you know, get to have that. And I, and I say that to him. I go, you know, those people that are coming through that treatment center where he works mm-hmm. have got no idea the gift no, <laughs> that I'm they sure landed they in I'm, that I'm chair sure they don't. and are able to get that transferred and that knowledge and that, that, that recovery uh, uh, speak given to them. Uh, while they're there you know sure and, and you'd think uh and a lot of them a lot of them are you know we've i've been to some of one of one of the early whenever christopher first started sponsoring me he was celebrating at this other meeting in louisville and somebody and there was like a hundred and something people in this meeting a big meeting and it was one of the ones you know they invited family members and everything mm-hmm. and that's kind of why we started doing the same thing the model down spiritual underground started sure. allowing having family members come in on birthday nights and stuff and um somebody while well, christopher had celebrated and they did it at the beginning of the meeting Somebody said, uh, hey, I just want to talk. And he congratulated Christopher, talked about how much he meant to him and all that. And he said, you know, what I would like to ask everybody to do is show if if Christopher Cohn or somebody that's in his lineage or if you went to treatment center or if you had something, if Christopher has had an impact on your life, please raise your hand. And I'm sitting there pretty new, man. I mean, I'm like months, a couple of months. This was. This would have been May. So I have my sobriety dates in January. So, you know, I'm five months into this deal and almost everybody except for the family members in that room raised raised their hand, hand, you know, and, uh, and that was impactful to see that. Oh yeah. And, uh, so we got this thing and y'all started coming and tell me about Christopher and, and, uh, and you're all what, you know, this, the deal about you working the steps with him. It has been fantastic. He opened up, uh, like I say, one of the, So I've gotten a lot of things out of Christopher and him. He's really helped me. But one of the biggest things was uh, my mother was really the disciplinarian, you know, out of my parents. Mm -hmm. And I blamed everything on her throughout all my drinking, all my madness, you know. Um, And uh, probably the biggest thing that he said to me was, because I told, I told Christopher some of the stuff that she would do when I was a kid and get mad and kind of angry. And he said, uh, Barry, but really all I hear you talking about is you. Did you ever think your mom might be sick or have some issues? No. It was all about me. Yeah. You know. And then he said, Barry, do you ever picture her as a, a little girl, maybe in her home? And I was reading, I believe, the third or fourth chapter of his book. And I just started picturing my mom as a little child. God knows what that felt like when you didn't know if your father was coming home. Mm-hmm. I never knew my grandmother, but supposedly she was. my mom was a lot like her mother. <laughs> you know, probably she lived a very strict life and, you know. So he really let me, and that was probably... Uh, that was probably the biggest thing I couldn't get over. Even though I was sober and I wasn't drinking, I was still having real issues with my mom. And, of course, now she's dead, mm-hmm. you know. But like I say, thank God I was able, really, to clean the slate with her before she died. Yeah. You know. Yep. Uh, the other thing I will say real quick uh, that I'd like to say, you know, to me, and it's just my opinion, but there's not a doubt that this is hereditary. Right, uh, I agree. 
I've got three grown children. Um, they all have issues. I'm, and I'm not taking their inventory. I'm going by court records, institutions. Uh, you know, The record shows. The record does show there's some issues. They're not just unlucky. But I can say today, by the grace of God, this is the only time that I can remember that all three of them are sober today. Hmm. Uh, it's never happened. I would maybe get one for a month or two, you know, and but they kind all cats in a bag or something. You well, know, you, yeah, you don't get I a could, couple of them here. I can't get that other. Well, when you got three that have had issues with heroin, meth, I'm sure, and, and they're all harder stuff than I did. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, uh, and they're just blessings. Like I say, it's just blessings of this program. I guess the biggest one I got a text today. My youngest son that's lived in the streets and done everything for 10, over 10 plus years, six years, at least combined time in the penitentiary. Uh, he's either been in the penitentiary or he's been living in a garage. I mean, not having anywhere to live. December 24th, called me and said, I want to go to Recovery Works in E-Town. I've probably taken him to 20 different ones over the years. It was four o'clock in the afternoon. And I said, no, not doing it today. Got off the phone. He called me back about a half an hour later. They're coming to get me. Good. He's got 58 days today, clean nice. and sober, that he hasn't been in a prison system. Never happened. I've never. He could recite that whole book, every page, and he could for 10 years. He just finished his fourth step with a sponsor today. Mm. And he said, Dad, I'm so blessed. And I said, you don't know how blessed I am yeah. to see it and how proud I am. Yeah. Just one day at a time. Yep. Where I, I think I only know one of your sons. Alex, came, my youngest one came to the Northside meeting a few times, really? once or twice. Uh -huh. But it's been three or four years ago anyway. Mm. Probably. Yeah. And where's, uh, where is Anthony? And, uh, Anthony's still, he's in the well, middle. He's the middle kid. That's yes. what I meant. I meant, where's he at in the three? Yeah. He's still at the Oxford House in Clarksville. Yep. Yep. I always liked him, man. Well, I, you know, uh, I just, I hope he, like I say, I, like, you know, this whole thing, you know, and, uh, you kind of wonder sometimes, you know, cause you know that like all that you're trying to help him never helped him right none at all and then when you stop helping him you get some help you do you know? well you and do you go, whoa hold when on you quit, you know? yes and, yes uh, yes and i have learned that yeah that's a that's a real interesting it's really hard to do you know oh, it's doing so some hard. stuff around and trying to just you know when you got people who are close to you that that are in it and you got to do this deal where you know, i just got to do my walk you know and 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 continue to be that that's the only thing i can really do that's all we can I do pray for you and that, walk this walk and stay on this path, you know. But it, when it's your kids, it is so hard. I can't hard. imagine. I oh, really it can't. is so hard. You know, I hear people talk about that, and I do believe that it's genetic. And I do see some kind of traits and stuff. But, man, I just refuse to, like, put that on my kids. I refuse today to go there just, you know, because I don't think it has to be that way. You know what I mean? And no. I do believe I can think shit into being happening. And, man, some people might kind well, of. Well, kind of. Uh, I'm, Kind of to balk at that to some level, 
But I have manifested some things in my life by thinking them through. I had, you know, I think there's some energy in life that actually sure. does that. There is, you know, I'm not a total pos- power positive thinking. And, you know, some people use that uh, prosperity gospel talk, you know. I'm not a total on that, but there is some validity to it because we're sitting in a wood shop right now that was manifested by that kind of thought. Sure. And some other things have happened in my life are definitely that way. And and I can also, uh, you're, we're a little bit like a dog on a trail, like a coon dog. Once that trail is kind of set, and that coon dog, I'm not sure that he really understands he's sniffing down a coon trail. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's what he really knows what he's doing. Sure. He kind of gets on autopilot in a way, right? Yeah. And I think in some level, we're not a lot more involved in that sometimes. If I want something, if I set my intentions that direction and do the next right thing, even though I'm not really realizing it. Sure. That I end up manifesting things that I want. And the same kind of, it's the same kind of energy how when we're doing the, when we're out in the madness, we attract that, right? And how do these friends that love to do that shit, how, you know, like you landing in that alternative school where all those other sure. people were doing what you wanted to do. Sure. <laughs> uh, when I think and when I set my intentions for certain things, then I end up landing in this giant bunch of great men that are supporting one another and doing something different than I've ever seen before. I right? believe that totally. When I set my intentions on having a, uh, a, a lot of marijuana and other type of drugs around me. Uh, you know, it's probably the universe put those things in my life, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's kind of go back to that thing about the kids. You know, you you don't have, I mean, if there's anything in my life that has made me realize like the actual definition of what powerlessness is, and I'm not dealing with what you're dealing with. So I'm sure it's like hammers home on you worse than a lot more than me, but I listen to you guys' stories, you know, because when you're talking and sharing about that stuff, I'm paying attention today. Sure. I'm not thinking about the next thing I'm going to say. Uh, in that powerlessness of raising children and like the while well, witnesses this incredible amount of emotional energy being laid out onto something that I have absolutely, you know, it falls completely under the uh, serenity prayer thing of the, you uh, know, uh, let go of the things I can't change. Absolutely. Cause I can kind of guide them kids a little bit sure. with some real wide guardrails on each side of the interstate, you know, <laughs> and they'll find some way down through there. But if they're going to hop the guardrail, there's not a damn thing I can do. There really isn't. There really isn't. That's uh, Alex, the youngest one, like I say, that's doing. They're all three doing really good right now. But Alex, when he first got in down there right after Christmas, he said, you know, I just want you to know, although I haven't listened or done what you've told me, I've been listening all these years. Yeah. You know. So that made me feel good. Yeah. You know, all I can do is show them that I can do it. Uh, I think you're blessed that you were able to get sober when you were and your kids were a little younger. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, but also when I look back, you know, I look at my three kids and I say, well, you know, look what they watched growing up. But then I got to look back and say, well, what did I look at? I didn't even have parents that drank. Me neither. You know what I mean? Yep. So I you mean, can't always. Drinking was a little bit normalized around. But I didn't see the kind of drinking I did. No, no, no. No, none at all. <laughs> you know, my dad and his none buddies had a few beers out to ride the grill in the backyard, you know. That's right. Everybody had some fun, and they'd throw some cards around and go home. And then they'd eat. Yeah. They might drink they a beer or two and eat. They actually ate the food that they cooked and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they actually ate the food that they were cooking. 
And I just didn't see that. Now, once in a while, I would have somebody like, I do recall some people coming around now and again. We always had a place in the country, and we didn't have the same one we have now. We had a place up in Henryville, up off Brownstown Road, and we had a family mm-hmm. place there. It was my grandfather. My dad's parents owned it. And we would have get-togethers out there. You know, that's 20 minutes up the road. Sure. Later on, that's where we had that six-keg party, matter of fact. It's that same place. Uh, when it kind of ended up kind of a little bit of abandoned, and we kind of took it over. Uh, once we got driver's licenses and all that, it was well, 20 yeah. minutes up there, and it was you could lock the gate. Nice. And, you know, I mean, you do what you wanted to in there. And uh, and I would remember once in a while there would be some people would come around when we had, when mom and dad would have bigger get-togethers. Because they would maybe have a bigger get-together out there, and it might be the Memorial Day. And there was a pond, and they'd fit, people would fish and cook. And, you know, it's just good good stuff. But I never saw anybody, like, crossing the line, except yeah. every once in a while we'd see somebody was like, whoa. And I remember as a little kid going. And I had really no idea what that was. Sure. But today I'm looking back going, oh. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. what that was, you know. But you know, it was later on in years, you know, and I was going to doing these parties and would go to these. You know, I don't know how I would land at these places. You know, I'd have a friend of a friend of a friend, and somebody was having a party at Nolan Lake, and we'd drive down there for the weekend, <laughs> not knowing where we were going or who the people, the hosts were, and that kind of stuff. Although we knew some people there, right? Sure. And we got an invite. Sure. Invited us. Absolutely. And I can remember going down there one time, and it was, and I don't even know what Kentucky, some Kentucky Lake, and I was, you know. Doing my typical thing like you were talking about, you know, I would I would overshoot the mark time and time again. You know, wake up in the bushes, you know, oh, yeah. and and the morning and not wanting, you know, think about oh hell, what did I do last night? And then you get up, gotta act like hi everybody. And they're like, you know, and I yeah. look in the mirror and you got blackberry scratches down your face, you know. And mm-hmm. some little kid come up to me and looked me right now in the eyes and he said, You are a drunk. <laughs> And I'm like 1920, some kind of neighborhood like that, you know. Yeah. And, and, and I remember being hit with that for a minute, like, <laughs> what did he just say to me? Yeah, but I mean, I felt it for a minute because sure. you shake that off. Oh <laughs> yeah. Nope, I'm yeah. not. That kid's stupid. Yeah. But you oh, wonder yeah. about that now, you know. He looked at me and you know and and, and pointed that out. <laughs> he knew. <laughs> and I was acting a fool, no doubt, all weekend. You know, I mean. Like I said, that was one of them ones where I woke up in the bushes sometime, you know, and day is getting daylight and, you know, like a short pants on, no shoes, no socks, no shirt and, and, and no idea where you're actually at. Well, and you know, the thing is, and I, for somebody that's thinking about it or, or new, you know, I had a lot of fun. I did did a lot of fun partying, you know, until it turned on me. Yep, it and it does, fun and it until will. it wasn't anymore. And yes, absolutely. I was the one that had to. You know, if we were going to meet at the bar at eight o'clock, well, I'd start at six at my house. I'd have drink ten or fifteen before I even come met you. Yeah, and yeah. then yeah. I'd drink six there, and they'd say, yeah, "Why are you so bar drunk? beers were expensive." Well, yeah, they you were. Yeah, get some of them. I had to load up before yeah. I went. Yeah, insanity. Yeah, and then people would, you know, and then I'm trying to act like I'm not too drunk because well, I know sure. that this guy just showed up drinking the first one, you know, and I'm 10 in, and he's drinking the first one. You're kind of like keeping my shit together until trying he kind of catches composure. up a little bit, you sure. know, so that we can kind of get a little on the even par and sure. talk about it. Um, yeah, I didn't have that upgrade. You know, I just didn't see that growing up. That's not, you know, I saw people, there was a normalized thing. So beer, drinking beer was okay. It wasn't off limits. Sure. Although I hear people sitting here in this podcast, it's parents and grandparents, there was teetotalers and it was totally off limits, you know, and they still sit at the other side of this podcast table telling me their story. Absolutely. And then ones who had alcoholic fathers and mothers, 
And, you know, it is, there's no, there's not an equation. No, there isn't. No. No. But there is a solution. There is and a solution. And thank God for that. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I'm having a blast doing the TSSR thing, and it's being, you know, I always have my doubts a little bit. Just like you said, this ain't going to work for me, you know, and then it worked for me, and then my sponsor is coaching me to sponsor other people because that's where the juice is. So I'm starting to sponsor other people, and I'm going, you know, I'm a little special. I understand why it worked for me, <laughs> but it ain't going to work for this guy. Sure. <laughs> Cause he is too far gone, <laughs> and I and I t- walking through the same thing, the same basically that TSSR methodology that Christopher taught me that I didn't know what it was when he was giving it to me, and when I and I got a big book sitting here, and he's coaching me to do things that I can't find in this book. Sure, and I'm a little bit like because I did put him, you know, there was a little bit of look. I mean, I did look up to him, and I had a lot of honor for him. So when he was telling me to do stuff, I was just doing it. But in the back of my head, I'm going. I ain't in there. And I'm going to meetings and saying you do steps per the book. And he's having me do things like go pick out a little baby picture of myself when my lights are still on and looking at that and keeping it around or not a baby, but a little kid picture. And I'm looking at that when, when and aiming for back when my lights were still on. And Absolutely. at some point my spirit got stepped on and different things had done that. And he was talking to me about the different things that stepped on my spirit. You know, the bullying that I had that I went through and, other kind of uh, sexual identity issues that I struggled with. And, you know, the gamut and talking to me, well, none of that's in there. Right? No. But he's peeling back onions and peeling back stuff and opening up this, like when we did a four-step, he opened up that definition of the word resentment. Sure. Because that book says it's who I'm angry at. And he said, last look, look at everybody that had an impact on you. Let's, let's yes. put everybody down. You know, if you can think of them, if you think they had, let's look at that and see what's up with it. And, you know, if it wasn't no big deal, it ain't no big deal. It's just a wasted, little bit of wasted ink. Absolutely. But if it's something's under it, we are to try to find it. Clean it out. Yep. So Even we did big old inventory, down. you know. Yes. And and started broadening a bunch of stuff. And it, and it wasn't, you know, it's certainly right in line with what Bill writes. It goes right along if you read the stuff like the language of the heart and you read those grapevine articles from Bill and and you do a little research on what he was preaching and what he was talking about expanding this thing and making it bigger and let's let's open the lasso sure and get more and more people in here you know and that's why the one thing they made it available you know and they never nobody ever copyrighted or tried to take ownership of the actual steps and it was offered to every group that might want to think it would work for them so now there's over a hundred or something different groups using 12-step philosophy to do it and I think, uh, you know, Bob Earl's another guy that I just love the speaker. Absolutely. And he talks and, you know, he said, I think oh, it, yes. and I, I could pull a quote that I really love it. And I'll paraphrase it. He said, I think Bill meant for us to, to continue to uh, search and dig and improve these tools so that we can continue to improve the quality of our lives in recovery by whatever means that is, you know. And, and TSSR has just been one of those things where I went, I don't know if this is going to work for these normal people, you know, but, uh, hell, I wasn't hurt to give it a try. It doesn't right? hurt it's at been all. fun as hell I, to, on the ride with Christopher absolutely. to get to read those. Cause I have, and if y'all want to see it, I'll show it to you. I didn't mean to bring it to a meeting, but I have the last volume of the Manila folder sitting underneath of my dresser right now. They sit there and I've been meaning to like do something like put them, put them away. 
Sure. Maybe even vacuum them. Somebody put talk about like put them in one of them vacuum packers and like vacuum pack chapter by chapter and just so where it stays in pretty decent shape for however long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't really like to move it because I kind of like it sitting down there. Sure. And it turned into a book. And it's the methodology that I do when I'm taking people through the steps. And, and I watch the effectiveness of it time and time again. And again, I'm not taking credit for this. This is, I, I get to be a, I get to be an instrument in a master's hand is what I get to be. Messenger. Yeah. Uh, use me. Yes. I'm willing. Mm-hmm. Sign me up. Where, what, what do you want me to do? Yes. And, uh, and now I'm doing it with these normal people. And I've done one fifth step down to cabin because that's my place to go do that. And it was different. But every bit is effective and every bit is moving to watch that happen. And I'm watching these other people that I'm sponsoring in TSSR begin to see transformation in their lives where they're operating on a different plane because they finally got some principles. And I think one of the other things is, man, is having somebody to talk to. It is. You know? Oh, uh, yeah. Golly, man, I, that's that, that little thing in itself of building this relationship so that, you know, and that's the reason I say, you know, I call me every day. You're like, sure. Really? Yeah, really. I mean it. And then you don't call me. I'm like, um, you know, when I said call me every day, I really, I really meant that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just one of those Absolutely. bullshit things, man. Maybe. Uh huh. No, yeah. I mean every call day. Call me. Yep. And then he said, "Well, you hit your voicemail." Yeah, I know. And I want you to talk to my voicemail, <laughs> just like you, like I answered. Tell me what's going on, because I'm you. talking to a lot of people, and I can't necessarily pick up the phone every single time. So talk to me. I will listen to your voicemail. Sure. And we got codes. You know, and the same stuff that Christopher said. One, if, and now I'm a little bit uh, uh, set aside at the moment now. But if somebody t- texts me 911, that means their ass is on fire. And I'm going to get to them as quick as I possibly can. I really am. I'm going to call them back and I'm going to help and see what I can do. Uh, most time I can't help but be a voice. But that's what we need. Sure. Somebody to talk to. So when we talk every day, right, we start building a relationship and you become, you find out that I'm safe to talk to. So then you can let a little bit more of your crazy out to me. And as you let your crazy out, it starts disappearing. And we do this work. And all of a sudden, you know, lives transform. And guys who are dealing with, you know, well, my, and I'm sure he won't mind, but he deals with rage. That's, just, that's, how, that's how the spiritual malady uh, manifests in him. And the bigger deal is, is that it comes out onto his kids, sideways on his kids most of the time. And he don't like that. And he don't want to be that way. Sure. And he come to here to us, hopefully, to get some help. And he's doing better. And he talks about it when he blows up. Yes. And remind him that he's human and you're still going to screw it up. Well, yes. And, but, you know. The only thing I've done right for the last six and a half years is not drink. Yeah. Well, you see, know. that's the thing about these people who are not, that's not their deal. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Because uh, he don't drink. No. Now, he would like to go have a couple beers with his buddies at the pool hall once in a while. You know, but he's made the commitment that I asked him to do that while we're doing this work, we don't do that. Sure. And he's made that commitment to not do that. We're not going to use substances for the time being. Uh, and I explained that. That's one of the spiritual axioms I believe in that, you know, it's just hard to get what you, you don't get the whole cup of juice. Without, yes. Because Bill didn't say half measures for no reason, right? You're right. And relationships turn into, you know, new relationship and early recovery. What that do? That makes me do that half measure because I got half of my mind over there. You're right. You're probably more I get a than break, half. Uh, 
I get a couple months sober and the promises come true and I get that job I always wanted. I hate that. It's the worst thing I ever, you know, the relationship and that new job that the guy always wanted. And he believes that now that he's in the third step and getting ready to start on his fourth and he got this new job offer that the promises are coming true. Like, <laughs> uh, I beg to differ, you know, and I, and I have my opinion there because now all of a sudden this work is half measures because you go get that dream job and, you know, and it looked real good. But, oh, damn, I forgot to tell you, I got to work 60 hours a week. You know, and I got, and they want me on Sundays too. So we got, I went, man, you know, and that's the kind of thing that happens and it pulls you right away from this stuff. Absolutely. And if you'll make this work, the primary thing in your life while you're everything doing else this, follows. and just let every, put a tourniquet on everything else, just keep it at bay, you know, and if you're in a relationship already, I'm not asking you to end it, but let's sure. just keep it, let's where keep it, it where it is and not, don't rock the boat. Yeah. No but, major changes. But, yeah, and just keep just all things to... padded and all that. And keep, if you already have a job, you know, we'll keep it going. But, you know, don't don't strive for to be CEO next week. Sure. Uh, <laughs> sure. Let's just I do it you. and put the focus on this. And I see people doing that. Now, that is one of the places where the TSSRC is that it's tougher for them because their ass ain't on fire like it was for us. That's that's the only thing that, and I hope, I hope wish it. Well, one hundred and ten percent. I don't know if I could have done it unless my ass was on. Fire. Yeah, I wouldn't. Have. It's a lot of work. You know, I told Kathy before we came over here, and uh, I don't. I get to go to meetings today. Mm -hmm. That is my fun. But I told her, I said, and and she agreed. It has been a lot of work. Mm -hmm. It is. It, it really has. It is. If you want to get sober, it's like anything else in life. If you want something, it's going to be some work. Yep. It doesn't matter what it is. Has it been worth it? Hell yes. Right. I'm happier today than I've ever been. Still life on life's terms. You know, I'm still going to have these people die. I'm going to lose a job or have to change a job. I'm going to have health issues. But it's still, it's the best life ever. Yeah, my favorite thing when you talk about all that that I heard, you know, when... when and uh, I keep on making clear that I don't make any of this stuff up. I've stolen and heard it from somebody Anything else. Anything I say so has no been stolen. no matter what it is and what is going on, what I found with these steps is that I can still be okay no matter what else is happening out there. I have a landing spot now. I might get, ooh, but I, I can come back quicker, you know, and I have tools today where I can call a sponsor, call a support person, come back down, cut my problem in half, and get back realigned with my higher power and get my compass needle and pointed in the right direction and get back on track no matter what is going on in my life. Yes. I could never do that before. No, not at all. I had to have a drama. I had to have, you know, I had, you know, like you said, uh, something happened. I'm almost certain it happened because of me. It's because well, sure. they're, you know, they did that. My biggest thing is I love when people get mad now today about when somebody cuts them off in traffic. And it's like they take it personally. Oh, yeah. No matter who was in your position that day. Oh, was getting cut off. You're right. They were not. It wasn't a direct but stab our ego, at you. But our you know, ego, it had to be me. me it had to be me because yeah. it's still, I mean, I still struggle every day yeah. on, you know, I'm selfish, self-centered to the core, uh, but I'm a whole lot better than I was. Yeah. And one day Real at a time. faster. I do. I do. And I just do it. I still do this deal one day at a time. Yeah. I don't get out of that. And I can start my day over. Yeah. Sometimes I can be so spiritual and you let me walk into work. And 10 minutes later, I'm like, who in the fuck is this? Yeah. You know, but I can start over. 
Yeah, blow the whistle. Yeah, regroup. And I still love. I still love the Al-Anon saying with the hula hoop. Yeah, you put that hula hoop around you, and anything outside of that is none of your business. Yeah, and it really isn't. And if I, that's one other thing I will say. And I, I went to Al-Anon because of my children and all. But I almost uh, would recommend that for anybody. A few Al-Anon meetings, even if you don't have somebody in your family that drinks, it let me see. The other side, it let me see the family of the alcoholic, and it kind of let me understand what I put my family through. I think it's good, and I think the Al-Anon program, uh, AA taught me and helped me get sober. Al-Anon, a lot of their things helps me live mm, Yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah, because as we say, and it says in there, you know, this, this disease affects the, our people around us like no other disease does. Absolutely. You know, I mean, if somebody does get cancer, there is some, there's some, there's some fallout and there's some things that happens to the people around it. But this alcohol deal, we drive other people nuts. We do. <laughs> they get as sick as they we do. are, if they not do. sicker. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and they don't when, know it. You know, it's kind of like well, the alcoholism thing where, you know, I wasn't about to, you know, I knew I had some things going on with drinking, but I really didn't, you know, I just, nah, nah. And it's the well, same thing that happens, you know, people don't realize that the alcoholic has affected them at the level that it has. It's, it's like that invisible line, too. Well, and me and Kathy have talked. It is a totally different group of people. Usually when we go to an AA meeting, there's laughter. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that. Al-Anon, not so much. You still got some really pissed off people in there. Yeah. You do. Yep. You know they're damaged. Yep. They're burnt. Uh, yes. They're still smoking. It's it's a different, it's a good feeling. I think it's good to try it and just to get their, their view. And like I say, they've got a lot of things that really helps me on a daily basis in life that mm-hmm. I've picked up from Al-Anon. But yeah, they're they're damaged. Yeah. You know. I've never been in a meeting. You ought to try it. I've, uh, I've, enjoy I've it. walked a lot of people into a meeting, like at Northside, when people come by yes. and they're looking for the wrong, you know, they, yes. they're in the wrong room. And, across the hall. and of course, I know some people over there, so I can actually walk somebody in there and introduce them to somebody rather than just point at the door and say, it's over there. Sure. Uh, which helps a lot to be able to, to, to introduce and say, hey, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so. Sure. <laughs> Pull the plug and get out yep. before I get any of that on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i've heard that you know and i've actually had you know both their sides of that you know i've had some people uh recommending me that i didn't go talent on but that's been a while back uh and i heated that at the time you know i don't uh but uh i hear you i do it's totally a good experience yeah, it yeah. really is uh and they, i think it was like because I, said, I was in early recovery and you know and that's necessarily you know made maybe wasn't clear that maybe i could go in there and shut up or well they've uh, got a few tools that they really don't NAA now TSSR. We're starting to discuss a lot of the things about fixed managed control. Yeah, but it really doesn't a whole lot except acceptance in the big book. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, but uh, no, it's a good experience. Well, I mean, when, when you say that, I mean, uh, and I don't really know. I'm just because it's come up in some other areas too. That if somebody went, uh, that'd probably be good just to go observe. Don't try to get. Just listen. And that's really all I did. And I was oh, afraid. Well, one I think time my I friends were maybe thought that I wouldn't I was be in another twelve-step program, yeah. and Kathy said, "Barry, they've never treated you the same since." 
And it's, it's probably true they did. Yeah, I think that might have been why I was advised not to go because I have trouble mm-hmm. keeping my mouth shut at times. And, uh, might be. Just and be I'm better at it than I go. used to be. <laughs> I could keep my mouth shut in that today. Yeah, just be quiet and listen. Yeah. You'll be fine. Observe. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's been cool meeting you and watching the same thing, and you know, and again, this whole transformation thing that happens when we kind of step over here and look at a little deeper look at this thing, and you saw, I saw you shift, uh, as a result of that. Sure. And I kind of get to go along for the ride whenever you know Christopher didn't sponsor a lot of people when he's writing that book, and luckily, I like he was not he was focusing on doing that that book. And sure. It took me on. Because for whatever reason that day he was led to do that, and he'll talk about that. That for whatever reason he said, "Hey," and uh, and man, uh, and I believe that happened on purpose. I don't believe in accidents. Well, and today he's many, my best think friend. How many people you helped, and today. I've watched him uh, start to uh, you know start to get back into the sponsorship game in the last couple of years or so, and starting to. To, to do that and and watching this thing grow and like you know one time a long time ago he said man you're gonna and, and, and i sometimes i hesitate to say some things that repeat some things he said someday you're gonna have your own little army and you're gonna look at back and you're gonna go wow you know and at that time i couldn't understand what he was talking about and it, it sounded a little arrogant at some level you know and and a little bit where i was like oh, i don't want that but now i understand what he means you know and i and i got this after sponsoring for a while uh, I've been able to have an impact on a number of men and a, and a pretty good number for the time I've been around. Sure. And they're all having lives beyond what they could understand. And, you know, and, 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 and we get to do this thing together. You know, and I know their wives and their parents talk to me and, and all that happening, you know, and, and for whatever reason you get to get a little credit for that, you know, and, and get to be a play a part in it. And, and it's just magic. And I love watching even when a string off and Christopher's helping and other people and you're getting, getting it and Tony and LJ and, you know, and, and watching these people, uh, frankly, take this recovery thing to another notch level, level up another notch or three. And, uh, and it's fantastic. It's just, it is, it's fantastic, man. Cause, uh, I really think there's no, you know, I read today, you know, with Nick, we went through, cause I have a commitment thing. And when I do this thing, uh, I still primarily, especially with alcoholics, use the big book as a, as my guide and I can give you, I can transfer TSSR stuff with that book. Sure. I don't, uh, you know, I've read that book three or four times before it was ever even three times before it was ever printed. <laughs> and I got it from Christopher a couple of times and I've been giving it away for years. Sure. So I still use that, but I have this little milestone thing. And today, Nick and I went through and we hit page 164 together. And that's something I want to do with guys when I sponsor them. We're going to go through the first 164. You're going to work these steps in this way. And that's what we're going to do. And when on day one, when I, when you say, Dan, will you sponsor me? I say, okay, I'm open to that, but here's the things we're going to do. And I want a commitment from you that we're going to do this. Sure. And so I get to do that. And there's that paragraph towards the end in the family afterwards. It says that he has struck a limitless load. As long as he continues to mine it the rest of his life and give away the entire product. And it may be my very favorite line in the big book altogether. And I think it is. It is a li- I'm finding that the li- there are no limits of what I can do with this thing and what I can do, what I can do on this trip around this big blue marble today. And, uh, and all I got to do is continue to do it one day at a time the rest of my life and give it all away. It's a pretty simple formula. And it's a great life and it's fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm having a blast. <clears throat> I really am. Uh, there's nothing nothing more fulfilling. I've said this a hundred times. There's absolutely nothing more fulfilling in my life than walk somebody through these steps and watch them change. And like today, when I get to the page 164 to stand up and give that guy a big, giant, warm hug, congratulating him for doing this work and seeing absolutely. the change in that guy because he's another one, right? Sure. It's a parent. Sure. I'm gonna, I told him today, I said, well, I'm going to have to do and this sounds a little funny too. I'm gonna start taking a picture of a dude when I first meet him, and take a picture of him afterwards because there is night a difference. Day. Night and day in those two guys. Night and day. Yep. And then it's not you know then get to know them and you see them talking, sharing that, and it's it becomes really apparent. So yeah, sure. This thing really works, and it's a. Uh, I just love having brothers and people walk. You know, because what would it be if we didn't have each other or do it together, yeah. right? Yeah, it would. It wouldn't be nothing. Yeah, it wouldn't. It's a wee deal. Yes, wee. sir. Well, thanks, Barry, man. Uh, Thank you for uh, having uh, me. Had a for whatever reason some kind of bonds and one of those click things from the beginning. I just uh, and you know that you know I don't know why that happens, but it I just don't does. It it just I don't does. question it. It just does. Sure. Uh, and uh, and and Kathy too. Uh, she's always been like a. I always felt like a. I always felt you're rooting for me. You know, and when you have people doing that, that's kind of a sponsored thing too. You know, I find out sure. and I see what how important that is to have people rooting for you. Absolutely. And as a sponsor, I root for my guys and encourage them and and do that. You know, when you have people that you knew who were rooting for you, uh, it more it, it really means a lot to me. So thank you for for doing that. Whether if you were, you know, however it happened, uh, it had an impact on me, and still does today. Uh, Kevin's in the studio too. How you're new, right? How many days you got? Uh, a little over a month and a half. Month and a half. So what's that? In, uh, 40, uh, 45 days or so, someplace in that neighborhood. It's a long time, though. Isn't so it, that's man? cool too. Yeah, it is a long, long time. time. <laughs> it is a long time, and congratulations for doing it. Uh, I didn't mention it, and you do your mind. So uh, you know, he listened to the podcast a little bit. Kevin did, and he's saying something, and I said, "Well, come over and listen. Sit in on one. We're doing one tomorrow night." Let me make sure Barry's okay with it. I'm sure he'll be okay with it, but I want, as a courtesy, I want to make sure that 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 you that you are, and uh, and you know, funny thing, because I told Barry this too. There's been a number of guys come sit in this since it's been. It's only been just a little over a year. We started in like October, and like Vlad was like four days sober, and he said, "What are you doing?" You know, I don't remember what it was. Is some evening? I don't remember Wednesday night or something. I don't know. And I said, "Well, we're all going over to Kevin's." office and we're going to record a podcast you want to come and he goes yeah <laughs> that's cool and he come and he just sat in you know and uh and he's still sober to this day and vlad is kicking ass and doing stuff that you know you can find his story on this podcast too of uh where his life was to it. and where yes. he is today and to see the difference because when the first day i saw him walking in the spiritual underground i nudged chase and i said i still remember i, I nudged chase next to me and i said that dude looks like shit. Because <laughs> he did, man. He looked like he was dying. And he was. Yeah. And he was. You know, there's been a few other people. So what my thing is here is that there's been some people that sit in on this. And uh, almost all of them that have come in like early like that are still sober today. So there's a there's a energy to come in. Because what you're doing is you're participating in your recovery by sitting here, you know. And if you were like had a meeting sheet to sign... This would qualify every mm -hmm. inch 
this is participating in your recovery at any level, just like this is going to a meeting or, you know, do anything like that, working with a sponsor. Uh, you'll hear me say over and over again, and then it come from happy because he told me, you know, and I didn't like it back when he said it because I didn't want to hear it. But he said, you must participate in your own recovery. And that's pretty simple stuff, right? But like you said, this is hard work sometimes. It is. And, and you got to participate in it. And yes. it really helps if you're a willing participant. Absolutely. Because well, the 10th step promises we stop fighting. That's right. That's right. And uh, and that's part of part of doing this, you know, and then and, and there's a trade off. And I make a guy, you know, this another thing that Christopher's taught me to make these steps important. And then when you do the steps with me, we're doing some ceremonial stuff. We're we're doing some we're doing something important. This is real work. This is stuff that change your life. And I make it that way. And I set it all up and I want to make sure that they understand that we're not just dancing down this little uh yellow brick road or something. Uh, this is real life-changing work, and it means something. I'm going to make it important. When we do a third step, I make a guy have a pact with me. This is just a handshake pact. Sure. Uh, but it means something. It puts some emphasis on the stuff, and it makes it makes it important. And one of them is, is this work that we're going to do, and that, that I need you to be a willing participant. Because if I have to drag you along, it ain't going to work. No. And at times, you don't might need to nudge me. That's right. And so by participating in this thing, man, you get to, you get what you put in. You get out what you put in. And I know that's been some of the fruits of what's happened for me is that I have had these opportunities to participate in my recovery, like this podcast, like the taking guys down there and doing the fist steps at the cabin. Sure. 20 years ago when that cabin was built, I had no idea why I was building it. Really, I thought I was making a hunting camp. I know I was doing a recovery center. Absolutely. I didn't know that I was going to have guys coming down there doing retreats and doing that kind of thing. You know, I didn't know I was going to end up in this like communication director role with my group where I keep everybody informed on what's going on and, and doing all that. I had no idea in that. And I never even planned to do any of it. It just, just happened. And I'd said, yes. Well, and haven't you felt, you know, when I think back early, the, the things that I wanted to do the least that I was asked to do helped me the most. Yeah. Stay sober. Yeah. I'll never forget when I used to go down to the lunch bunch when it was the old token club. And that meeting, I mean, sometimes there was probably 150 people in there. And I, I wasn't but a couple months sober. And they said, well, you, why don't you chair next week? And I said, okay. And I left and I was sick for a week. I was scared to death. How can you do it wrong? Yeah. You really can't. Yep. But you feel so much better. You know, because I'm still backward. I'm still, I don't really want to, you know, those are the things. Everything yep. I have not wanted to do in this program in helped me like the a, most. Bart mentioned yes. that same kind of thing, too, that the things that he doesn't want to do turn out to be the things that is most Blessings. valuable for him. You know, Blessings. And, uh, and kind of, he said, it's also becoming like a little signal in his own little inner it's deal. Time to do that, something. You know, he goes, you know, I don't really want to do that. That means I really should. <laughs> Well, uh, and I started to end it, and then I went off on another tangent. But uh, appreciate you, appreciate you coming here, telling Thank your story you for, for the me. for the for the show. And uh, I always know that you know there's people out there. I'm getting tons of feedback on the people that's coming in lately, and uh, and I think it's just because it's growing. You know, I get these emails sure. or Facebook posts and things like that, and messages telling people that uh, they got this or that out of a particular podcast, and uh, and it really warms my heart that I get to do this. And you know, I'm in a little. I'm in a couple of little groups that have podcasts to do podcasts 
And one of their main complaints and one of their things that they're always hitching on is I need guests. Who wants to be a guest on my show? Who wants to be a guest on my show? Who? And, you know, and I picked exactly the right slot to do a podcast on that. I have infinite number of guests. <laughs> I yes. mean, really, am I ever going to run out? Um, no. Because no. alcoholics like come talk about themselves. You're right. <laughs> and there's plenty of them around. Absolutely. And this is part of carrying the message as far as I'm concerned. This is a way that we get to carry the message and, and your voice gets to be heard. And that old that old deal where one day you're sitting in a meeting and somebody says the things that you need to hear. Well, you know, and if one person that's listens all. to this one. and gets, hey, that's enough for me. Yep. And it will be. And that's almost a yes. guarantee. Yes. You know, so thanks, man. Uh, thank you all for coming in. And, 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 and I really am tickled that you come, that you wanted to do this. It really does. Uh, you know, I've been given some gifts in this thing, man. And, uh, and this is a sign of really wanting it. And when you really want it, you get it. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to turn the corner and not have to, not have to go back to that, whatever that was that put you here. Cause we don't walk in here for fun. No. <laughs> Turns out to be a lot of fun. Yes. I'm having a blast, and that's what I say in here. If you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. You're right. And thank you all for allowing me to participate in my recovery in this manner tonight. Peace out. It's time to put away